Oh, Microsoft, what are we going to do with you? I know, they keep dropping these blunders. <laughs> Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. It's starting to get chilly, but I'm Joe. From a very wet northwest of England, this is Tony. Building hardware from source, I'm Norbert. And for use as directed, I'm Josh. This is episode 373, recorded on Sunday the 31st of October. Happy Halloween. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up in the news, we have Raspberry Pi 02W. Xorg has something new. SUSE goes edge. A new MX Linux. And Microsoft blunders. In security, an NPM library gets hijacked. Proton will not retain your data, Firefox implements GPC, and Black Friday scams abound. Then in our wanderings, I try my hand at TV repair. Norbert plays with Legos. Tony is shopping for a new PC. And Josh is a plumber. It's his turn. So, this week in the news, Raspberry Pi Foundation have released a new Pi 02W this week. So, if you're familiar with the Raspberry Pi uh, 0W, this one, instead of having a single core processor, has got a quad core processor. So, uh, we've put a link to uh, explaining computers video in the uh, show notes if anyone wants to go and take a look at it. I, I like this guy. Moss likes this guy too. Another another thing to mention about the Raspberry Pi 02W is that it will only have 512 meg of RAM because of the um, faster RAM. It's much more difficult to stack it the way you would with the other one. Yeah. And also, I think it's a price point thing. You know, if you start adding more RAM, then obviously you're starting pushing the price up. And they wanted to try and keep it to around $15. Which is mind-boggling for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a $15 PC. It, it, it is a PC because it's a personal computer. It can be a PC. Yeah, yeah. If you watch that video, he actually did some uh, testing using um, GIMP to edit um, a photo. And, uh, you know, it, it it was quite impressive, the the actual difference over the previous one. It's never going to be a desktop replacement. If you want to do that, use the Raspberry Pi 4. Raspberry Pi 4 or the Raspberry Pi 400, but uh, I would suggest a Raspberry Pi 4 with 8, uh, eight gig of RAM. That would be uh, a better option. But uh, for uh, making little games consoles and all sorts of other embedded uh, use, this is going to be another cracking release from the Pi Foundation. And it's just made, made, made my uh, 2001 predictions even more true. So we'll come to that at the end of the year. <laughs> so shall we move on? 
The next item is three and a half years after XOR, the X.org server 1.20 was released, 1.21 is released. I'm not very au fait with how X and XORG and all that work together, but if you want to read a bit about it, go to the link in the show notes on, uh, to an article on the register. Uh, and they'll talk about it, but basically it's to do with the X server, all that kind of stuff. It's what makes your pictures appear on your on your monitor. <laughs> yeah, and I think they've incorporated a variable refresh rate in this, so those with uh, free sync monitors will reap the benefit of that. Right, and our next article is about SUSE. There's an article on Z, uh, ZNet. SUSE heads for edge computing with SUSE Linux Enterprise Micro 5.1. Does anyone uh, understand this stuff? Because I'm not that (laughs) that au fait with it. It looks to be mostly for cloud-based and Internet of Things devices from what I've read. Right, okay. Anyway, there's a link in the show notes to that. Just for information, I actually have uh, SUSE Tumbleweed running on a a laptop that I use for... uh, you know, on occasions, and I've got it uh, with SUSE Tumbleweed as the Linux install and um, Windows 10 for as a print server for u- using my uh, color laser printer because it won't work with Linux. Uh, but Tumbleweed's great. I love Tumbleweed. I should give it another try because I've tried it before and it didn't really... I'm not even sure what the word is. It doesn't feel right because I've been using Fedora. You don't feel comfortable with it? Part of it is just I didn't feel like uh, learning a new package manager, but I also hear that uh, Tumbleweed is very stable. It is very stable. The The thing you have to remember is that if you leave it more than a week or so to do your updates, it does effectively a disk upgrade every time you update. So you can end up, if you've got a two or three weeks uh, up, updates to do, you can end up doing downloading a gig of data before it'll do the update and it can take quite a while but if you're updating it on a daily basis you should be all right but uh, anyway so you put the next one in uh, Norbert about MX Linux do you want to talk about that yes the latest uh, version of MX Linux MX21 based on Debian Bullseye was literally released in the past week and I just really think MX Linux is always worth a mention because because it's one of the best uh, Debian-based distros, in my opinion. And if someone wants to stick with a Debian base but doesn't want to go with an Ubuntu base, MX Linux is basically Debian, but it sort of eliminates the issue of having outdated packages because they package a lot of stuff. For example, they package the latest version of Firefox as opposed to Debian, which only has the Firefox ESR. They also package stuff like uh, VirtualBox, which isn't in the Debian repos, and even Brave. Basically, it feels like Debian, but more polished for day-to-day use. So the latest version, it now uses the, the Bullseye repos. And there's another interesting thing that uh, caught my attention because it uses XFCE, and I really like XFCE. But one of my complaints with it is that by default, you cannot have a... You cannot pin open windows to the panel. So you you can have the those launcher, quick launcher icons, and you can have the list of open windows. But you cannot have the two as, as one, like in basically all other desktop environments. But this latest version of MX has a plugin called the uh, dock-like taskbar, which essentially is sort of like a dock, and it, uh, it allows you to pin open applications. And I tried to install it on my void uh, installation on my desktop, and I 
failed multiple times because of some weird dependencies, but uh, I do plan to try MX21 on my laptop. And I've also decided on some interesting theming stuff to try, which I might put in. Uh, check this out. So all in all, it's a really nice release because Debian 11 itself is a really nice release. I like to think of MX as Debian Plus. Yeah, I use it on my ThinkPad, my X220. It's nice and lightweight and runs really well. So definitely looking forward to upgrading it and giving it a spin. Or I suppose reinstalling. I don't think uh, there's a clear upgrade path. Yeah, the other thing about MX as well is that they uh, release a 32-bit as well as a 64-bit version. So if you've got old hardware that still relies on 32 bits, then you've you've got uh, an up-to-date uh, Linux distro. Okay, so the next item, it's a Microsoft uh, issue. Uh, for the, uh, Since the last show, uh, Microsoft have uh, done a naughty and then done a U-turn. Um, they uh, ref- uh, released the uh, next version of .NET. I think it's .NET 6, but there was part of the... Uh, um, implementation of .NET 6 that uh, they didn't open source and it caused a bit of a furore in the community, particularly obviously in the open source community and um, within 48 or so hours, <laughs> Microsoft decided that they'd caused too much ruckus and decided to uh, repent and decided to completely open source uh, the uh, latest release of .NET so there's a link in the show notes to an article about that uh, and just before we came on air, I was uh, I was looking at um, YouTube, and I noticed um, a uh, one of the YouTube uh, YouTubers, Linux YouTubers that I follow, had released a uh, a new video, and it was basically was saying uh, Microsoft is embracing Linux only to kill it. <laughs> Uh-oh, we're back to Extend, Embrace, uh, Extinguish. That yeah, was... that that was basically the title. Come on, Microsoft, get your act together when it comes to open source software, basically. So unless anyone else has got any news that isn't in the show notes... Then it's time to move on to the security update. It is. And the first article in the security update, if you're using this hijacked NPM library anywhere in your software stack, read this. And we have a link in the show notes. Does anybody know about this? I have not had a chance to read through this. I had a quick read of it uh, yesterday when I put it in the notes. And basically, uh, the U.S. government, cybersecurity and info. Infrastructure Security Agency has warned developers that the version of a of the UA dash parser dash JS, which is a JavaScript library available via NPM, was infected with data stealing and cryptocurrency mining malware. So uh, yeah, if you've got this uh, on your system, you could end up. Uh, helping someone else make a lot of money <laughs> okay the next article proton mail celebrates swiss court victory exempting it from telco data retention laws 
Well, we re- I think we reported uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure, but Proton Mail was uh, getting some flack over. Uh, I think it was the last episode that Leo was on. They released some data to the courts because uh, of a court order, and they were getting some flack on it. But apparently, the Swiss courts this week have uh, said that um, internet-based companies are not telcos, basically. So they don't have to uh, maintain the same level of uh, data retention that uh, telecommunication companies do. So it's a victory that they can actually legally in Switzerland not retain data. Yeah, this is still a very country-by-country thing. So, I mean, if one country requires them to retain data, then basically they're still going to retain all the data. Well, I suppose it just depends where your servers are based. If your servers are based in uh, Switzerland, then you'll follow Swiss law, won't you? Well, it's more than just your servers. If you're doing business in in the US or you're doing business in Ireland and, and they require you to have X amount of data, even if your servers are somewhere else, then you're still required to have that data, aren't you? I wouldn't know the legal niceties of that. I suppose if you use a VPN and direct it to a to a Swiss server, then you'd be covered by Swiss law, wouldn't you? I guess it would still be kind of a gray area because, you know, um, Chinese companies that do business in the U.S. still have to follow U.S. law. So who knows? And also basically everyone who wants to do business in the EU has to comply with GDPR and that sort of stuff. Exactly. So while this is a victory, it's still going to be somewhat dependent on other countries as well. Yeah, it's a <laughs> that just shows you the thing about international uh, communications, doesn't it? That you're tied up with uh, more than one country's legal system. Okay, and next up, Mozilla Firefox joins browsers implementing global privacy control. I know I read that Brave already has this implemented by default, and I think it's just uh, basically saying that a company can't sell your data it, it sends out a signal to that particular website so i suppose it depends on um, if that uh, company is going to adhere to that or not but uh, it doesn't hurt having it in there in my opinion mozilla are actually saying that firefox uh, is calling itself the first major web browser to implement this so it's saying the ones that have already got it are very small players. Okay, what exactly is global privacy control? What does it implement? I mean, obviously, I know it's for global privacy, uh, so that means across the whole application, I assume? Yeah, it sends out to, to the to the website that you're visiting. It's telling them, it's sending a signal saying not to sell your data. So uh, to their partners, I'm assuming. Oh, okay, so many websites present cookie consent banners that let users opt out of tracking and having their data sold on a site-by-site basis. The difference here is that users, the user doesn't need to opt out on every site, which we think is a better solution. Okay, so it's opting you in automatically to not sell your data where it can. How's Brave not a major browser? It has... 25 million users. I think there's only like four major browsers. Yeah, I think in the scheme of things, 25 million users is uh, quite low when, you, <laughs> when you're when you looking at the internet as a 
in, you know, globally. And what, do, what does Brave use as a backend or as a base? Chromium. Chromium, yeah. So it, it, it's a Chrome browser with some additions. Yes, but so is Edge and so is, is Opera Chromium based? Yeah, I believe so. I'm not sure. Also Vivaldi. It's Chromium. So what would be the four major browsers? Chrome and Firefox, but... Well, Edge, I, w- I would imagine the class is a major browser. And I know it's now based on Chromium. I, I was classifying it as a major, even though um, Chromium is the back end. That's a recent change. and Yeah. And Safari? And Safari, yeah. Yeah. And I think the only reason Firefox is really considered one of the major browsers anymore is because it's, you know, legacy. But it still has on around 200 million users. Yeah. Right. I would suggest tried moving to Firefox yesterday. And I moved all my bookmarks and I tried to use it as a daily driver. Then I bumped into some issue with Google Drive and I wouldn't be able to download files. So then I had to install Chromium. But I'm trying to use it as my daily driver. I don't try to use it as my daily driver. I know a lot of people on the show do. But um, I, I do use it as a backup or an, a, if I need to do something that would normally require me to go and clear the cache on Chrome, it's a lot easier just to pop up Firefox for 20 minutes. Okay, and the next one, TA575, criminal group using Squid Game lures for Dritix malware. Has sent emails pretending to be someone working on the show, urging people to download malicious attachments or fill out forms with sensitive information. So it's basically phishing emails. So, yeah, it's a bit, I suppose it, um, it's just a traditional thing. It's just using something different uh, to get to get people's attention to tr- try and click on a link. Wouldn't they be called squidding emails, though? <laughs> I like it. So beware of those squid game emails. And then Google fixes two high-severity zero-day flaws in Chrome. This is the third set of zero-day patches for Chrome in three months. Yeah, I just thought it, I just thought it was, uh, you know, having to fix all these zero-day flaws that they suddenly find in, in a major browser like that just shows you how vulnerable we all are, you know, for using these things. Yeah. Uh, and it just shows you how in, important running your security updates in whatever operating system you're running is. Because I'm assuming now that they've announced it, they've already released the fixes. Yeah, the, the, the Google fixes seem to be coming as quick as the Intel fixes were there for a while. Mm. Or the flaws, anyway. And then the next article, Fortinet warns of Black Friday scams involving PS5, Xboxes, and fake Amazon gift card generators that steal crypto. This is another form of phishing, isn't it? I think anything where you're getting uh, things, particularly at this time of the year when you're buying a lot of stuff online, you can very easily get drawn into these kind of things. Yeah, I think that's why it's getting mentioned in an article now and they're expecting this to come up quite a bit with Black Friday on the way, just the phishing in general type of thing. And I guess, um, you know, mentioning how they're specifically targeting crypto wallet addresses for the gift cards and things like that. Basically, don't trust any email you get, ever. Never click a link in an email you get. (laughs) 
What really annoys me is when you get an email from a company you deal with that is a legit email. It actually comes from them. And even they ask you to click on a link in an email rather than saying, please go to your account online and log in and and search for this and go there. They ask you to click on an email email link. Well, even those, I don't click on the link. It's like um, no, I, I got a, I got a text message that was supposedly from Venmo the other day saying that someone had accessed my account in, in England or something like that. And so please click this link to uh, verify the access or the $1,000 purchase. And <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I Closed out of the email and then went to the Venmo website, logged in and saw that no, the only accesses were from my phone and my desktop. Yeah. So that that's really the only way to do it. And yeah. phishing happens all year round. It's just you need to be more aware of it at this time of year. But it, like I say, it's just when you get a legitimate email off a legitimate company that you do business with. And instead of them telling you to go and log in online, they send they put a link in the email, and it's then for convenience totally ignore you when you complain about the practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't trust those either. I, the simple answer is: do not trust a link in an email. I've also seen uh, a lot of these uh, login verification emails and stuff uh, having uh, just a code that you can copy paste instead of having putting a link in there. So the actual companies themselves that are legitimate uh, seem to be moving uh, f- away from the, the links altogether. Yeah. And that is it for our security update. On to the bi-weekly wanderings. First up, I tried to fix the TV. Um, I ordered... Uh, a used, well, I, first of all, I got the TV for free on one of the Facebook, um, it wasn't marketplace. It was one of the Facebook groups that we have for, um, give and take. So someone had a TV that wasn't working and I was able to get it. It was like a 32 inch. I would never actually use it for anything. I just wanted to see if I could fix it. So I ordered a used, supposed to be good, supposed to be fully tested by a certified technician power board from eBay because I wanted to test the power board before I went through all the work with the um, replacing the LEDs behind the screen. Because the issue was that you, if you did the light test, it would, you could see a picture on the screen, but the backlight was not coming on. So that's one of two things, either the power board or the LED strip itself. So um, that new board that was certified to be good was worse off than my original power board. It had a blown fuse, a bad AC to DC inverter, the large caps on it, the 120 volt caps were blown. Um, I replaced all of those from the old power board because I wanted to see if I could do it. And I was um, able to get power back into the caps, but something else popped as soon as I turned it on. So um, I I still don't know what the issue was there. Took it back apart, looked, and didn't see any damage on the board. And I made that sound so quick when I was doing it, but believe me, replacing those caps is a uh, thrilling experience. Um, I don't know if you've ever 
drained a cap. But yeah. No, I don't do electronics, Joe. <laughs> I, I, I usually don't mess with caps because I, I, I know what can happen, but you know, um, and I don't have the proper tools for draining. So a nice rubber handled screwdriver was about all I could do. And that's, there's an exciting zap when you drain those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I didn't see any damage on the board after I took it back apart. So I put it back together and, and this TV would turn on, but still no backlight, but no picture either that time. I think I would need a different power board again and possibly the LED strip still replaced. So I'm right back where I started again, right in the beginning. And it, it cost me $15 for the power board, but you can see how well that turned out. Shocking. And it's probably not worth the money cost to fix at this point, but considering I wasn't actually planning on using it anyway, I don't know if I want to continue or not. It was very involved uh, getting that power supply working um, and also very fun. So maybe, maybe I just need to convince the wife to let me spend the 50 bucks it would cost to try and repair that again. And I don't know if I'd succeed and anything like that. It's just, you know, worth it to me to, mess around and give it a try. Um, I've also been doing a lot of messing around with cryptocurrency and, and that it has actually been pretty fun. Now, Shiba Inu price has been interesting over the past couple of weeks and I was lucky to get a bunch of it right before the uh, first price hike. Um, I don't expect to get like retirement money out of it or anything. And with as volatile as the market is, I don't really expect to keep what I've gotten so far. I mean, at one point, my Shiba Inu uh, all by itself was worth like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600. And then now it's like worth 900 baby. So... But that's still a lot more than I initially put into it. But the way the crypto market is, you can't really count on it. Um, <clears throat> I do expect crypto to stick around in one form or another and, and to have some kind of market domination. I mean, I don't expect most paychecks to come across that way anytime soon. But I know some places do pay using some form of crypto. Uh, I also installed a program to act as a ticker and alert device called Coin Price Indicator. I'm still testing it to see how I like it, but it seems to be doing very well. And I just wanted something to prevent me from constantly reloading the web page to see prices every couple of minutes. And it, it does that. It's actually, um, I have the, the GitHub listed there and it's very good for keeping real-time track. You can set it to update every three seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds. And so, yeah, it, it's helpful. Um, I got Repetier working with the Ender 3 V2. Works way better than when I first got the V2 and tried to set it up and it didn't want to um, connect correctly. I did compile from source and do a direct install this time instead of using the app image, and that probably helped a little bit. Uh, setting up prints is much easier now without the need for a micro SD card. Um, as is bed leveling, much quicker and easier. I can just, you know, go over and hit the button twice and it goes into the correct position. I still use Cura for slicing for two reasons. Um, first, I can work on setting up the next print while the first print is going. And Cura is always much more up-to-date for slicing. 
Um, also got some glow-in-the-dark PLA that has turned out really good on 100% infill prints. Um, printed some glow-in-the-dark ghosts for around the house. I actually have one of them like right here if you're watching on YouTube. And I, I think it looks pretty cool. And it, the glow isn't the greatest, but it's still, you know, kind of awesome. I also printed some Pet G and while I was able to get, get it to mostly work on some large prints, I really need to invest in an enclosure for it. Um, I love the estimated time to completion being on my computer as well. And, and next I will have to get a decent webcam on the 3D printer and maybe set up some auto bed leveling. I attended a PTA meeting with the local school district and I'm considering running for school board due to the overall amount of pure idiocy that is currently there. And I, I know everybody has heard my complaints about the um, independent school district around me. I, I don't know how this may affect my ability to podcast. I mean, I had to miss Wednesday's Linux Link Tech show in order to do it, but I'm, I'm hoping that it won't affect too much. I also got a Fitbit Versa 3 for free since someone was just giving it away. I was really kind of surprised that someone was just giving one away. It's a nice device and the O2 sensing is nice, although I think it could be better. I, I like the Alexa integration on it. It works very well with almost no setup whatsoever on my part. Um, I think it tracks workouts better than the gear watch S3 when it comes to like distance and heart rate, but it doesn't present the data as well as a Samsung app does. It definitely is not as classically stylish as the gear, but I'm gonna keep on using it for a while before I t make my final decision on which one I'm going to keep using. And I have been up to a couple other things that I'd love to talk about, but I, I, I've kind of whinged on here for a little bit. So, Norbert, what have you been up to? I took apart my microphone stand to clean it. And while I was there, I also took the opportunity to redesign it and rebuild it from source. And by source, I mean Lego bricks. Because if you grew up playing with Lego, you'll probably never be too old to have some it around. And sometimes I like to build something functional out of it. For example, a few years ago, I had a Sony Xperia phone and it had a magnetic charging port on it, on its side. It was supposed to connect to the bottom of a docking stand to be charged. And I didn't have one of those docks, but what I did have was Lego bricks. So I ordered a USB cable that had that specific magnetic connector at the end of it. And I built a, a stand for the phone out of Lego bricks and it fit surprisingly good. Because back then Sony was sticking to the very rectangular uh, phone design with sharp edges and sharp corners, not, not, not sharp corners, but it was very rectangular, so fit just right into the Lego stand. And I also took the cable that I ordered and I glued the end of it into the right spot in the stand. So when I would put the phone into the Lego stand, it would actually charge it. And uh, I also have the aforementioned microphone stand, now it's second incarnation. I rebuilt it to make it more sturdy because I, because sometimes it would just fall apart. Not by itself, but for example, if I hit it too hard or something. And this rebuild of it ended up being a Han Solo edition. The reason for this is that I built it out of black pieces only to match the microphone's color. And I was looking for a very tall Lego piece to use it as reinforcement. But I could only find the one that has the carbonite frozen Han Solo printed on it. And it's now visible on the front of, on the front of the microphone. I also like to visualize a few things. So for example, I found a way to motivate myself in my university studies using Lego bricks. 
For each subject taken in a given semester, I have little pillars of Lego bricks, the height of which is based on how many credits the subject is worth. And uh, I start building them on top of each other. So after passing a given exam, I would add the subjects pillar to the pillar of the semester. And it's, it's weird because a few years ago, I even ended up buying more Lego because uh, the ones that I had from my childhood didn't seem to be enough because sometimes I would need a, a bunch of a particular color, a particular shape of brick and st- things like that. I also built uh, for my previous tablet one of another uh, little stand that was actually adjustable using Technic pieces. So yeah, I really like to have uh, functional stuff made out of Lego bricks. Yeah, I absolutely love that. The building of a mic stand out of Lego pieces or a tablet stand out of Lego pieces. Yeah, th- that's awesome. I think when the Raspberry Pi first came out, there was loads of people built Raspberry Pi cases with Lego. At one point, I tried to build a, K- a Lego case for an SSD, but I, I got worried whether if it would heat up too much, and I ended up abandoning the idea because the SSD would heat up and it would heat up the case itself. Speaking of university, though, I have some disappointing news for Leo. I'm not going to turn Jurassic Park into reality anytime soon. As in the end, I didn't take the the research topic related to working with ancient DNA. Instead, my uh, master's thesis topic will be about a field I'm more familiar with, which is fungi, specifically uh, related to the the tree of life of all fungi, including all those that produce mushrooms, but also microbial ones as well. So in half a year or so, I will probably be really close to having my master's degree. Speaking of things that are microscopic, I managed to contract the coronavirus around four weeks ago. It's been around two weeks since I recovered, but my sense of smell is still relatively weak. It's slowly coming back. I live in a household with three other people, and despite all of us having been vaccinated with two shots, all of us lost our senses of smell and taste. Well, our sense of smell completely and our sense of taste almost completely. Uh, two of us, uh, two of them have been vaccinated with uh, Pfizer and me and my brother have been vaccinated with uh, Sputnik. And other than the less loss of smell and taste and some minor fever for me, we only had mild symptoms like that, so which is probably thanks to the vaccines. But not being able to smell and taste anything is very frustrating, especially because I like to drink tea a lot and mainly green tea, which I haven't really been able to smell or taste for a number of weeks. My takeaway of it is that the vaccines do work because none of us had severe symptoms at all, but also that the Delta variant of the virus is not a joke. Did any of you have had the virus? No. No. Uh, Thankfully, uh, my family has remained relatively isolated, but we have our reasons for that with uh, somebody that's immune compromised in the house. We've been extremely careful and all of us, but one of us have um, had both shots. So... Likewise, my daughter has Addison's disease, so we have to be very careful as well. She's immunocompromised, so we've also been careful, and thankfully nothing yet. On the bright side of things, having had the virus might actually be the best way to get immunized. Uh, Some of the studies show that um, the vaccination is actually better than um, getting the virus and getting over it for longer term and better immunity so or at least that's what i read even though we were all vaccinated we had all of us had two shots and all four of us went down with the virus yeah so i'm not sure 
after having recovered from the virus, I attended a local convention. And if you were to ask me what the convention was about, the answer would be yes. Because it's held four times a year and it's mostly geared towards Japanese culture and other Asian media. But since it's the pretty much the only major convention of its type where I live, it's usually an amalgamation of various fandoms of of various fandoms of subcultures from Star Wars and Star Trek to anime. Everything except really gaming because we have other gaming related events. The convention was nice, but it was even nicer to be able to go among people after weeks of isolation. On the Linux side of things, I've been looking for a reliable distro for doing this show, because of my experience with Arch-based distros when I wouldn't be able to mute my microphone. But then today I wanted, I decided to install Fedora, because it's, it's stable, and it also has Pipeware, which I want to use more. And I decided to double down on the vanilla GNOME experience. I want to see if I can use it without any extensions whatsoever. Because every time I install something with GNOME, I always just go for extensions. But if I if I were ever to recommend Fedora to a new user, it wouldn't be a good look if I started telling them about how you have to customize it right. to make it usable. So I want to see if it's usable out of the box, because I never really tried to use GNOME without extensions. So I will have it on my laptop, and I do have it on my tablet, and I don't have any extensions on any of them. And I decided to install Fedora before the show, but I had some issues, so I had to abandon the installation, and I'm right now on NeverOS. And I set my mute key, and surprisingly, it worked, so I can mute myself. So I'm not sure if it was, uh, it, if it had to do with Pipeware, because I, I, I replaced Pulse Audio with Pipeware, but now I installed, uh, I reinstalled Endeavor and I kept Pulse Audio, and it seems to be working. But I do want to try Fedora with Pipeware. Because it's the future. Probably. And that's what I've been up to these two weeks. So, Tony, what have you been up to these two weeks? Oh, well. Um, so, as you uh, may remember, I was on holiday uh, when we recorded the last show. And I'd just like to apologize for the state of my audio. Uh, I was using my... Uh, portable um, setup and I use uh, a laptop which I have to use a headset mic normally and I use a USB sound card so that I can get the audio through the headset and and talk into the mic because it's only got a combined audio jack and they that particular headset has two uh, three three and a half mil um, jacks on it so you need you need the uh, the double input but the one I took with me wasn't working and I'd forgotten to take a backup or multiple backups that I normally do. <laughs> Silly me. So I ended up having to use my uh, earbuds uh, so that I could listen to everyone else and use the internal mic on the laptop, which meant the audio was very distant and echoey. So apologies for that. Uh, but since getting home, I've been doing quite a bit of modelling and I've posted a few uh, short videos, a few more short videos of my restored models on my YouTube channel. And I've put a link to my channel in the show notes. So if you want to go and take a look, if you're interested, there's a, a link in the show notes on here. Um... I'm getting more and more issues with my computer hardware at the moment. My PC tower is getting a bit long in the tooth. Uh, it's a, oh, quarter, a third generation i7. So uh, it's the best part of uh, nine, ten, uh, eight, nine years old. 
Um, and uh, it's starting to show its age. And I've been having a few problems, few issues for a while. So I went on the Entraware website. They're a Linux um, vendor here in the UK. But due to the current supply chain issues, the model that I want to buy is currently out of stock. And I'm not sure when it's going to become available again. So I'm checking the website on a regular basis, but nothing so far. I'm a bit averse to buying from uh, another vendor because... Uh, the advantage of buying from a Linux vendor is it's all going to be tested. They they sell it pre-installed with either um, Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate. So I'm assuming Mint Mate will run fine on it. Uh, if it if it runs Ubuntu Mate, it'll run Mint Mate, and everything should work okay. So, uh, but if I go f- for for another, unless I go for something expensive like a uh, a Dell corporate model or a, a Lenovo corporate model um, that generally works pretty good with uh, Linux. I might have issues. So uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to buy from Entraware in the future, but we'll we'll have to see how that goes. The other issue is that uh, these very few uh, vendors that sell um, PCs without uh, Windows pre-installed and I would prefer not to pay the Windows tax <laughs> for something that I'm not going to use so uh, it's uh, you know that's where I'm at at the moment uh, not much else happening here at uh, Common Edge Towers so I'll pass over to you Josh alright well I'm still in the middle of uh, remodeling the main bathroom in my house. Uh, we're hoping it'll be finished by the end of the week. The place is a giant construction zone right now, but we're really pleased with how the work's turning out. And I wanted to give a shout out to a uh, good friend, Carl, who's facilitating all of this and some anonymous donors who actually helped us out a bit financially with it. Uh, as anyone knows uh, right now, material costs are through the roof, so... Uh, it was really kind of a few people to step up and help us get this project started. So very thankful for that. Uh, haven't had a lot of free time. We're in the middle of our overtime season at work, but uh, being in the midst of the Halloween season, I took the time to binge watch Midnight Mass on Netflix, and it is written and directed by the brilliant filmmaker, in my opinion, Mike Flanagan who also did The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, also on Netflix. And uh, I think this is his finest work to date. It's uh, it's an old story. You've probably seen it a million times. I don't want to give away any spoilers on the show, but uh, it's retold from a fresh perspective, and it really uh, it gives it new life. And... Um, yeah, I highly recommend it, but for mature audiences only, it's something to watch after you put the kids to bed. Um, so, also with Halloween in mind, I've been uh, re-watching a few classic horror movies. I think I watched Children of the Corn yesterday, Stephen King classic, uh, along with a few new ones and playing some of the spookier albums in my music collection, mostly a bunch of uh, King Diamond records as well as... Uh, some other stuff sprinkled in, some black metal and some of the darker side of the music spectrum. Any uh, Necrogoblicon? 
<laughs> I haven't got around to that one yet, Joe. I'll have to put that on the on the list. Or Guar. Ah, another classic. Love Guar around Halloween. Gotta listen to a little Guar. So, yeah, I'll have to add this to the list to get through before this evening's now, over. Um, can you give the premise of Midnight Mass without giving too much away? Uh, boy, it's difficult because it really revolves around um, a classic... I'll say a classic monster um, uh, figure that has been used in millions of horror films. And it intermingles it with religion, but it does it in a very respectful manner. It doesn't, um, it doesn't really push an agenda too hard one way or the other. I think it's very balanced in its approach. And um, yeah, it's just fantastically done. I, I'd say more, but I, I really think I'd probably give away a little too much. So, yeah, that's about all I've been up to. Before we move into the innards, just like to say, myself and Joe are celebrating th- our third anniversary. Yay! Good job, guys. On the show. And we're moving into year four. Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's quite cool, that. Never thought I'd be doing a podcast for three years straight. So. It doesn't feel like three years. And not that I've appeared on every episode, but Joe has since we started. It still feels like we started last week. <laughs> That's quite a few episodes to be in there for. Yeah, well, I know I, I, I'm, I'm over Joe's number, or Joe Rez's number now, and I'm, i am got Leo beat now, and uh, <laughs> I'll never beat Rob's numbers, but... Who knows? I might try. Go. Okay. On to the announcements. Our next episode will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on the 14th of November. Get Mitcast converted to your time zone. We have that link in the show notes. And our next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on the 6th of November. Hopefully, if everything goes well, nothing breaks. And we also have the link to convert that uh, to your time zone, which is will be interesting over the next week or two as things change. But it's, it's already interesting because we had uh, our clocks set back one hour this morning. Yeah, it's a relatively social time here in the UK of coming up to nine o'clock. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We'll break that come next week. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of us have to, uh, well, all of us that watch have to also make time to be able to get Doctor Who in on the same day. Yeah. Okay. And on to our wrap up. Um, I'm Joe. And if you uh, want to get a hold of me, you can catch me on a couple of the other podcasts that I'm on. That's uh, the Linux Link Tech Show, which I missed last week. Uh, that's tllts.org. I'm also on the Linux Lugcast, uh, linuxlugcast.com. We just had a Halloween special on Friday. Um, you can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. And I also have a Kofi link where you can buy me a coffee if you want to. And then, Tony, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me at some of my old shows on Hacker Public Radio. I'm host ID 338, if you want to go over there and check me out. I'm on Twitter, TonyH1212, and I did look at it this week. (laughs) I'm very bad at checking my social media. (laughs) 
I'm th at mintcast.org. Uh, I'm on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com and we're recording again next week. So look out for that episode towards the end of the week. And if you want to, go and check out my YouTube channel. I've put a link in the, the uh, wrap up on, for my YouTube channel as well as in the, uh, you know, in the weekly wanderings. So yeah, check out that if you want to. And Norbert, what about you? Well, you can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org. And for now, that's all. I'm still contemplating uh, making a YouTube channel in English, whenever that might happen in the future. And then the other, other Josh, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me at JT at mintcast.org, Josh Thacker on Discord, and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. And then Nishant, who wasn't able to make the show this week, you can catch him at Nishant at mintcast.org, Rikon Ghost on Instagram, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, Ghost Rikon on Discord, uh, Maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing, although I think Norbert will be doing the audio editing coming up. Uh, Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. InitRD for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner for our time sync. ByteMart Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our backup Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. The Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks Glenn. And cool. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint. Yay, it's a wrap. Less than two hours. Right. <laughs>